welcome to adi pune design mixer this is our uh, welcome new members of adi pune we have a lot of new members happening last and uh, last 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 week so uh, this is rugved i am a part of newly elected uh, adi team and this is our first online event and second adi pune mixer um before i explain the concept of mixer i would like to introduce uh, adi to our new members most of them are aware adi through pdf but adi is a network of design professional industries students and educational uh, educational institutes in india uh, adi is also a community of exceptionally skilled extremely uh, diverse and uh, designers across domains and we aim to create a meaningful interface with industry uh, academia users and policy makers um, adi pune is one of the most vibrant chapters of uh, association of designers of india and uh, we i think last month we started this uh, concept of um, online mixer obviously because we can't meet and socialize and uh, can't party together so this was a little casual event where social sharing will be possible to make it more interesting and different we thought of uh, taking up non design topics last time we discussed something about finance today we are going to talk about intellectual property and raghavendra is already here for that he'll be uh, giving you a brief talk uh, and presentation and then we can go ahead with q and a and then some informal chat uh, i would like nishma to introduce uh, our guest and start today's design mixer over to you nishma thank you uh, rugved so i'd like to uh, welcome raghavendra and also uh, thank him for taking his time out today to uh, be present for this mixer so uh, rugved already explained the concept of this mixer and we hope to have a good uh, chit chat session with him and uh, you know discuss about uh, uh, the very important aspect of intellectual property that uh, most of us designers deal with in day and out so uh, raghavendra is uh, a managing partner at bhate and pongshi and he is a um, ip consultant and uh, Uh, we have known raghavendra because we work together and uh, he has uh, you know helped us with the uh, filing of patents and uh, protecting our intellectual property and i'm sure some of other people here might also have worked with him or maybe your clients have our clients have also worked with him so it's uh, uh, been a nice interaction and so we thought that let us uh, chat with him and see what he can help us with so uh, i hand this over to you raghavendra he is going to show us a few um, few slides he'll be sharing his screen and uh, show us a few talk about a, some cases to explain the different the different concepts that are there over to you raghavendra thank you nishma thank you raghavendra uh, thank you for having having me here Uh, i'm going to talk about uh, the basics of intellectual property uh, as it's a lot of misconceptions about what intellectual property stands for so to a kind of uh, a very short presentation not the elaborate one as ip takes a long time to be to explain i try to kind of uh, concise it and make it uh, short so that you know we can utilize the time more uh, during question and answers if uh, you have any Oh, we have many. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, is it visible? Yes, yes. 
before I start, uh, I would uh, just take a few seconds in introducing who we are. Uh, Bhatia and Pongshe was established in 1965 uh, by Satyar Pongshe and Madhav Bhatia, both uh, entrepreneurs and inventors in their own right. Incidentally, before uh, Mr. Pongshe came down to Pune, that is in 1964, he had 20 patents in his name. And the first patent in our family was filed pre-independence and was granted before independence uh, came to India. So before it was granted in 1946. So the patent and intellectual property thing kind of runs in our blood uh, as we had patents before intellectual property, uh, before the independence of India. And since 1965, for the last 55 years, uh, we have been helping uh, a lot of national and international clientele uh, for securing their intellectual property in India, as well as in almost 120 countries across the world. We filed more than 5,000 patents and 5,000 trademarks uh, for our clients in India and globally. And the team uh, typically is uh, technical and legal expertise, has technical and legal expertise as is desired because patent essentially is a technical domain uh, kind of activity. Uh, so is design and trademarks and corporates go more towards the legality aspect. So that is what who we are essentially. Uh, straight getting into the topic, there are two types of properties that we typically look at. Uh, the tangible properties, that is land building, machinery, computers, vehicles, everything that can be touched, viewed, uh, felt per se, and the intangible ones, which cannot be touched or viewed, which is termed as intellectual property. Anything which comes out of the human mind is intellectual property, as they say. This is my favorite line. IPR is a boring subject until it costs you money. I've come across many people uh, when I meet clients, when I interact with uh, students, uh, innovators, uh, large corporates, uh, uh, MSME people, uh, they come to me and they say, I would want to protect something. Now, the first question is I ask them, uh, why now? So have you developed it today? The answer is no. And they tell me that, you know, they had developed a product, they had developed a business, uh, a brand, and uh, which was put to use for say a couple of years. And now they see in the market that people are uh, stealing their product, they're stealing the concept, they're stealing the idea. And that is why they want to now protect it. So eventually what I tell them is because your ignorance has cost you money, right? Because you have not protected your, yourself well through the various facets of intellectual property, it has actually cost you a lot of money. Today, if you look at it around yourself, you'll see a lot of deals happening. A lot of uh, venture capital deals, a lot of private equity deals, and all these deals, there is a component of intellectual property involved. The first question that any, when they do, uh, they take uh, the due diligence path, they would ask you for your intellectual property portfolio. And they would want to value that intellectual property portfolio. If you don't have intellectual property portfolio, then the valuation definitely is a hit, right? It, does, it doesn't give you the kind of valuation that I, ideally it should be if you had some intellectual property created or an IP portfolio created. So essentially, though it's a boring and a legal topic, it definitely costs you money. So you need to be careful when you're dealing with intellectual property. So then what is intellectual property? It essentially is creation of human mind or intellect, which could be an invention or innovation, symbol or names and logos, literary and artistic works, shapes and design. I firmly believe there's nothing called as invention anymore. They're all innovations, right? Because we look at a problem and we find a solution. We look at a good to have thing and we try and strive to make a design or a system or a construction which could address that problem statement for that matter. 
So that is what intellectual property is all about. I'm going to briefly run through a case study, uh, which could kind of cover all the facets of intellectual property. This is something which we use 365 days, almost 24 by seven for some who are working day and night, right? And it's something which is part of our life. Do we have intellectual property here? A very basic stuff, I'm not getting into all those design aspects that because you are designers, you know what design is all about. But I'm just trying to kind of uh, get through what IP kind of consists out here. So when you look at this bottle, do we see any intellectual property? When you look at this photograph, as I would say, do we see any intellectual property here? Let me look at the first facet, the packaging, the label, which is associated with the product, is a subject matter of a copyright. Anything which is, which is artistic and literary in nature, which has a unique composition, a unique representation of sorts, is a subject matter of copyright. You have all these fancy packaging, which is developed by designers like you, right? All these packagings, all these colorful packagings are all a subject matter of copyright. For example, a very localized example, if you go into a Kirana shop and you see a blue bottle, what would you call it? What would you relate it to? It's a color, if you see a blue bottle out there, it's a packaging. In our parlance, we call it as trade dress. You're dressing a product for the trade, right? So the packaging is important for, a, for any product. So what does that blue bottle signify? It signifies a product called parachute, coconut oil. You won't call that blue bottle a Coca-Cola, or you won't call that blue bottle a Pepsi, right? You would always relate, relate that blue bottle to Coca-Cola because of the trade dress, because of the unique as the unique color combination or the color or the label which is seen on that blue bottle. Right? So copyright essentially is given for any artistic and literary work, whether used in trade and commerce or otherwise. Packaging is, sub is a subject matter of copyright. Trademarks, another facet of intellectual property. Any brand which is used in trade and commerce is a subject matter of a trademark. Here in this instance, you can see Nescafe, you can see Gold Blend, which is a registered trademark of Nescafe. And all the other marks which are there on the label, on the bottle, are also registered by Nescafe as being their brand. Now, what does trademark signify? It signifies the origin of a product, where, it product, where the product comes from. Now, if I talk about Bakarwadi, a very typical Puneri example, do we, will we call it a Haldiram Bakarwadi? We will always kind of connect it to Chitrani Bandhu Mithai Bandhu. Why? Because we signify, because we know that a good quality Bakarwadi will always come from Chitrani Bandhu Mithai Bandhu. So the source of origin is always associated with a product. And that association comes from a trade name, from a trademark, right? from a brand. So brand is protected by way of trademark, trademarks act, design rights, something which is very dear to you, all of you out here. So what are design rights? What is a registered design? Design is given for a shape of an object which is visible to the naked eye. A unique novel shape, the aesthetics, the configuration of the product, which is novel in nature and which is unique in nature and which is visible to the naked eye, is registered as a design. Here in this instance, you can see the unique shape of a bottle, of the bottle of Nescafe. Now that unique shape of that bottle is a subject matter of design. Any unique shape, you look at any shape of a car or of a mobile or even the mouse for that matter, the computer, the mouse that we use regularly, the multiple mouse designs that you see today, 
all these unique designs are subject matter of design registration. In the America, it is called as design patent. But in the rest of the world, it is called as design registration. Now, the second example here in this uh, image is the cap. Now, the cap also has a unique design. Now, that design of a cap, the, the structure of the cap, the design, the, the lines on the cap also form as, as a design element. Now, that design element also is captured under the Designs Act. The bottom also, the entire shape and configuration is considered to be unique in nature and is hence considered to be design registrable. And finally, the most important aspect of intellectual property right, which is generally generically called patents. So you don't need to be an Edison to file a patent, number one. You can't, you don't need to be a great inventor to file a patent. As I said earlier in my Can opening you? remarks, it is innovation that is happening today. So here in this instance, the process of making the bottle, if it is unique, it could be a subject matter of a patent. The machinery which is manufacturing the bottle, if it's unique, it can be a subject matter of a patent. The other uh, uh, image that you see is of the sealing, the seal on top of the bottle. Right? The process of sealing the bottle is, it could also be a subject matter of a patent. The machine used for sealing the bottle could also be a subject matter of a patent. If there is a sealant use for sealing the bottle, that sealant, if it has unique composition per se, could also be a subject matter of a patent. So it need not be something which is out of the world. Any improvement in any technical uh, stuff could be a subject matter of a patent. You also see an image of the cap out here. Now you, you could also see a locking mechanism in the cap. That locking mechanism of the cap could also be a subject matter of a patent. Right? So it, it encompasses everything in a single product per se. Right? And finally, it comes to the coffee granules. Now the process of make, making those granules, the machinery of making those granules, the composition of the granules, right? all these things could also be a subject matter of a patent. So if I look at one single bottle, one single product, it actually encompasses all the facets of intellectual property rights. You talk about copyrights, you talk about trademarks, you talk about design registration, you consider patents. Everything can be looked at when you look at a single object which is using in, uh, unique in nature. Right? So everything that we see today has an element of intellectual property in it. So let me take you quickly to the, through the IPR facets. What is a patent? What are the criteria for patentability? The first criteria and foremost criteria for patentability is novelty. So because everyone says they've done something novel, they say that they have some, done something unique. But then what is novelty defined as? Across the world, the novelty is defined as whatever you are trying to claim as novel should not be in the public domain anywhere across the world before the date of filing of your patent application. Now, many a times we come across people, clients, who come to us and say that we would want to patent an XYZ product. Now, my first question to them is, uh, is the, has, did, have you got some inspiration from somewhere? Because that's always uh, my question to clients, to find out where they've got this inspiration from, how they've improved that. Now, sometimes people are blunt in telling me that, you know, they have a, they've got some inspiration. Sometimes people don't want to tell us where they've got the inspiration from. Sometimes people also tell us that, you know, this product is available in the US. This product is available in China. This product is available in Singapore. But I want to file a patent in India. Can I get a patent? 
My answer to them is no. You can't get a patent on that because it is already available in the public domain. It can be imported and sold. So you cannot get protection for something or on something which is already available in the public domain commercially. So novelty is the basic criteria of patentability. The second criteria, which actually is a very thin line, is non-obviousness. Non-obvious is defined as it should not be obvious next technical step or it should not be obvious to a person skilled in the art. Now for me, it could be obvious and for you, it could be non-obvious. So obvious is always a, a very, very thin line, but we have to fight in almost 80% of the cases to distinguish and define how it is non-obvious, right? Uh, to give us, to cite an example out here, people, if, if I'm looking at a mechanical process and I say I have automated the process, now claiming that I've simply automated a process which is mechanical in nature is termed as obvious. It's an obvious next technical step, right? But how I've automated that, what is that, what are the elements of automation? Whether I've improved the automation, whether I've done some constructional activities while I'm automating, whether I've created a new system for automation, whether I've improved the system of automation, that could be a subject matter for patent because that will not be construed as a next technical step, right? And the third basic uh, criteria of patentability, again, is utility. A mere abstract idea which has no utility cannot be a subject matter of a patent. Everything that you want to file for a patent has to have industrial applicability or has to have utility per se. If it does not have utility, it is not a subject matter of a patent. Now, there are many other facets of non-patentability. Just to cite a few, a new application of a known device or a new application of a known process is not a subject matter of a patent. It's, it's actually a discovery. And discoveries do not fall into the scope of patentability. You have discovered a new use of a, uh, a product or a new use of a process. Hence, it is not a subject matter of a patent. Mere admixture of known things, which do not give any added technical effect, is not a subject matter of a patent. A good example, a very simplistic example, is the process of making tea. You, you have water, you add tea leaves, and you add sugar, and you add milk. What they do actually is they work why they are added for. The tea leaves give you the aroma and the flavor. Milk obviously gives you the milk effect. Water is the liquid and sugar is the sweetener. So they are not giving you any added effect. They are merely doing what they're supposed to do. Now such admixtures, mere admixtures, do not fall in the scope of patentability. The uh, method of agriculture and horticulture does not fall into the scope of patentability. Computer software per se does not fall into the scope of patentability. But if it is a combination of hardware and software, then yes, it may fall into the scope of patentability. Medical prescriptions, uh, presentations do not fall into the scope of patentability, as well as atomic, atomic energy-related applications do not fall into the scope of patentability. Then what is what can be patented? The subject matters are any machines, any systems, any processes, any methods, any articles of manufacture, any chemicals or substances or combinations or comp compositions, any biotechnology related uh, compositions, which are novel, non-obvious, and have utility, would sustain the patentability criteria 
and can be a subject matter of a patent. What is in, looking at industrial design, which I'm sure is uh, very much related to what you people do. Industrial design is given for any novel aesthetic aspect of an, of an article, which is a shape, which could be a configuration, which could be a pattern, which could be an ornament, composition of lines, which are applied in two dimensional or three dimensional forms. All your products that you create, which are unique in nature, which have unique aesthetics, unique shape, unique configuration, could be a subject matter of design. A good uh, uh, pattern design could be, uh, you know, Solapuri Chadar. The uh, patterns that you get on Solapuri Chadars or Paitani Sadis also are a subject matter of design, uh, so to say, because Solapuri Chadars have almost been all design registered by the manufacturers of Solapuri Chadars. Right. So all these forms, uh, ornaments, all your jewelry items, all of them are subject matter of design registration. Trademarks, as I mentioned to you, could be any word, any logo, any numeral, any sign, any signature, tune, device, which, is, which could be an invented word, which is non-descriptive in nature. People typically tend to create descriptive marks because they would want to associate the buyers with a descriptive mark. For us, it is a bad, bad mark. How we term it, 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 is, it is a diluted mark. If you look around yourself, you will, you will find at least 1,000 Balaji stores. If you look around yourself, you will find 1,000 Lakshmi stores. If you go to Lonawala, you will find at least 100 A1 stores or Supreme or Super stores. All these are very descriptive. They denote the character of the goods and such and services for that matter. So such descriptive, which denote the character of the goods are considered to be bad trademarks. Anything which is invented, anything which is coined is a good trademark. An example that I would cite here is a brand called Sanikova. Um, one of my clients coming from Karad came to me to register a brand called Sanikova. My first question to him was, what is the market that you're looking at? He told me he's looking at Dubai, Middle East, and the, Afri and the uh, Eurasian market, which is Russia and uh, you know, the Earth USSR. And that's the reason I thought he had come out with this name, Sanikova. It was a non-descriptive mark. I said, it's a great mark. But then I asked him, how did you come out with this brand? The simple answer that he gave me, it is a com combination of Sanya Mirza and Anna Kornikova because he was a tennis buff. Right? So it's a, it's a coined word. It's, a, it's, a, it's an invented word, so to say. So if you look around you, you will find a lot of coined words, non-descriptive words, a lot of invented words. And such words are good trademarks, as I would put it. Again, important aspect of a trademark is easy to pronounce. I'm getting into, into your field, but this is what we look at from a trademark and a goodwill perspective, when we go into uh, you know, valuing the goodwill of a trademark as well. Now, we have so many examples in the automotive industry where the automotive industry has come out with certain brands which have worked in a particular geography and have not worked in a particular geography because the connotation of that word is completely different in a, different, uh, in a, in a, in a particular geography. You have such examples in India also. You have such examples in Pune also, where people have taken up French names, like Gautier. It was, it was a failure, as I would say, because they had to change the brand after a few, few years, because people could not pronounce that brand, because it's a French word, right? People have difficulty in pronouncing these words. So it should be easy to pronounce. And 
again as a as an advice consider the market before deciding a mark because that helps when you're coming out and when you're making a mark which can generate goodwill and which could get you registration all across the world copyright copyright is given for any original work or representation uh, which could be literary dramatic musical work artistic work cinema film sound recording computer software ui ux and engineering drawings all these are subject matter for copyright all your books all your user manual that you create can be considered as literary in nature or the uh, artistic combinations that you create uh, are subject matter of uh, copyright or the ui ux that you create for your clients is a subject matter of design or the architectural work or the engineering drawings that you are creating all the sound recordings musical works that you create for your clients is a subject matter of copyright so all in all if you look at it every product every service ip is a facet out there some facet of intellectual property can give you protection of whatever creation that you make whatever original work that you do can get you intellectual property right can can secure you an intellectual property so what is the coverage of intellectual you must have heard people saying telling that i have a global patent i have a global trademark i have a global design it's a misconception there is nothing called as a global patent there is nothing called as a global trademark there is nothing called as a global design patent trademark and design are essentially territorial rights which means that a patent trademark and design granted in india is only limited to the geographical territory of india it is not valid in even uh, the bangladesh or sri lanka likewise a us patent or a us trademark or a us design is not valid in mexico or canada it is limited only to the united states of america patent has a definite life it is the life is for 20 years you cannot renew a patent beyond the life of 20 years it gets into the public domain after the uh, uh, life of 20 years patent has to be renewed every year if you don't renew the patent which is granted to you in a particular geography the patent lapses it is called abandoned and any party any interested party can start using that patent trademark likewise has a 10 year uh, uh, life which can be renewed every 10 years for perpetuity for example bhate and pongshi is a trademark which is there for 50 years now so we have been keep we are renewing a trademark our trademark every 50 years right and that's how we kept it registered in perpetuity copyright is the only right which is international in nature because india has signed the bern convention has acceded to the bern convention bern convention has been acceded by more than 100 countries that makes our copyright application in india go international so this is the only right under the intellectual property which can take you which can give you international protection per se the the term of copyright as we call it is the life of the author plus 60 years so almost it's, it's like perpetuity right if you, you everyone lives for say 70 75 years after that it can still sustain 60 years more and the licensing revenue or the publishing revenue or whatever revenue you are looking at from a particular copyright work can be there for a life of the author plus 60 years design as i have mentioned is for 10 years plus 5 years that is 15 years in totality cannot be renewed more than 15 years per se so every ip right has a life has a enforcement uh, restriction so as we say in our intellectual property parlance in patents novelty is global enforceability is local all the rights are territorial in nature so if you are not registered in a particular territory you do not have a 
right in that particular territory to enforce uh, for any infringement. So it is always better that if you're looking at any international commercialization of any of your intellectual property, you should look at registering or securing those rights in that particular in that particular country or uh, geography. Otherwise, you're open, you're gullible. Uh, you know, people can make uh, uh, infringement, can sell your products, can use your brand, and you won't be able to stop them. So then what is the use of IPR? Simple answer, it, it adds value. It gives you market leadership through monopolistic rights, and it gives you competitive advantage. Now, there are multiple ways that IPRs can, IPRs can be uh, commercialized. It can be licensed to multiple people. It could also be sold, assignment of rights as we call it. It's, it's, it's like any property that you possess, right? If you have an apartment, you can give uh, that apartment of leave a license. You can sell that apartment. The same thing happens with the intellectual property rights. You can license the rights, you can assign the rights. Rights, IPs are used in, uh, uh, during the, uh, as leverage in deals and mergers. There's a lot of cross-licensing that happens. People buy IP rights, people buy IP portfolios. For example, uh, you know, Motorola IP portfolio was, was bought, bought by Google. Nokia was bought by Microsoft. Uber, a company like Uber, who has about 2,000 patent applications, keeps on buying uh, patents or uh, patents or copyrights from different uh, geographies to kind of enhance their IP portfolio. So people keep on looking at different IP rights and try and enhance their portfolio and keep on buying acquisition of IP rights, as we call it which is used in, as a leverage in deals and mergers. And fundamentally, it also reduces the risk of infringement sued by competitors. You hear a lot of stories, you heard a lot of cases which are happening these days. IP litigation is going to grow in our country. I've, as I was mentioning before we started, if you look at the Indian figures, uh, if we are filing say 50,000 applications with the Indian Patent Office every year, 80% of those applications are filed by international companies in India. 20% are filed by Indian inventors. That's a very less number, right? So we are looking at a lot of litigation coming in, in the future. Either we grow and we file more applications, we secure our own turf, or we are left with uh, receiving a lot of litigations and infringement notices in the future. If you look at trademarks per se, there could be about 40 lakh trademarks already registered in this country. How many of those are by Indians? And how many, if you look at the balance, you would see a lot of big portfolios by large international companies secured in India. I always advise people that, you know, if you come out with a unique name, go and register it. You will at least have a chance to use it. When we do search today for our clients to find out whether a trademark is available, the availability of a trademark is getting lesser. We are not finding good names which are available today. People have to really fight hard to find perfect a good name a good invented and coined name which could be registered in india also globally if they're going looking at a global business scenario so it is going to be very difficult in the future to find the right name to find a name could be registered which you, which you can own similarly we are looking at design infringements happening today we're looking at design litigations happening small uh, you know things like toys for for kids have been litigated today from a design aspect you know, and these are these things are going to grow. So it is almost always essential to protect your intellectual property rights, whichever way they are, whichever facet they are of IP. So that could be used for the future, in the future, could be used for generating a lot of revenue and licensing. Thank you.